This is God's word. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Will you please? Holy God, we come to you. Today and we've heard your word and we've sung songs to you and uh, for some of us this is a beautiful and familiar practice and for other uh, others of us we um, we might not be even sure what's going on or why we're here or how you got us through that door or even if it was you that got us through this door and I pray that during this time and uh, through the words and this, our time together that you would speak to each of us uh, where we where we come from and where we are and what our what our stories are in the unique way that we need to hear you. I pray that your presence uh, is acknowledged and felt here to all of us uh, in the areas of our life where we most need it. Uh, be with us now this time. Amen. So, back when I preached, I opened with uh, an example from the Karate Kid Part 2. And it was such a big hit with everyone that I thought I would use another even more brilliant and life-changing than that one, Men. So if you don't know the movie, it happens to be my favorite comedy, uh, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon play uh, Max and John, these two old men who are constantly bickering and fighting and have feud and tricks they play on each other, but most of all they're always fishing. They're always out, they live in Minnesota, and so they've got all this opportunity to go out in their boats every day and just fish. And there's this rumor going around town that Rick Rigetti's cousin is going to be coming into town and taking over uh, and reopening Chuck's bait shop. And it doesn't really matter, it's, it's fine with the story. But one day, as Max is walking to the docks to get into his boat, he walks past the bait shop that had been boarded up, and he sees that the door is cracked. So he kind of, he walks up and he sneaks in, he starts looking around, and then he meets the beautiful Maria, who's played by Sophia Loren, and his jaw kind of drops and his eyes get real big and he's, you know, all googly over her. They introduce each other 
She realizes, oh, you're Rick Rigetti's cousin. And she's like, why are you so surprised? And in his best attempt at a compliment or pickup line or whatever you want to call it, he says, well, I expected someone who looked like Rick. Fat, hairy, homely, but you're not so fat. <laughs> Which I guess at that age, if you're still throwing out pickup lines, better than nothing. We have this idea in our, in our heads um, of what people are supposed to be like based on who they're associated with. If you think about it, what are, what are Democrats or Republicans like? Both know who you are. Ideas of what those people are like. And in a much less humorous, but maybe even more accurate uh, example of expectations based on uh, who you're associated with, is the most, I think one of the lines says, I like your Christ. And so, in that light, I thought this morning we would spend some time talking about what it is that Christ is like. And what might that gap be that people are seeing between Christians who are supposed to be associated with this Christ, that even Gandhi is good with Christ. So, um, I just think that, that you know, if, that's, if we're a community that's striving to be these people who's conforming to this likeness of Christ, those are something we should probably know. And most of you know that there's a group of us going through this program in fellowship. And this past weekend, we had the chance to get together with the other cohorts. There's three in San Francisco, one from Berkeley, and we met up in Tahoe for a retreat. And our speaker for the week was a man named Jamie Smith, and he is the author of one of the books that we're reading for the program. And after the Friday morning, I went up to him and thanked him for writing most for you today. So if, if there's anything you like, you can be thankful towards him, and anything you don't like, I don't mind taking credit for. So he begins, it's called Desiring the Kingdom. He begins his book by talking about what it is that gives us our human identity. What's the fundamental thing that makes us human? Is it that better? Okay. Um, he discusses what's the fundamental thing that gives us our human identity? What is it that distinguishes us from the other stuff in the universe? And he addresses the, the Cartesian philosophy that says, and you've probably heard it, I think, therefore I am. And that, so that comes from Descartes, the philosopher, and he interprets that to mean, um, as Descartes saying, the fact that that you can think ideas, that you can have thoughts, that you can be a thinking person, is, what, is that what distinguishes you from the other stuff? That is what gives you this human identity. And so that, that's, what, that's their distinctiveness. But what Jamie Smith says, he says, we are not primarily thinking beings, as Descartes says, but we, we are loving beings who desire. That be, even before we have these thoughts, we have these desires that are driving our actions and shaping our lives. Let's work through an example together. How many of you have ever had french fries? Or like french fries? Well, I am going to do you and the entire world a huge favor right now. So did you know that two and a half ounces, just two and a half ounces, which is a small serving size of McDonald's french fries. Here we go. 
11 grams of fat, 1.5 grams of saturated fat, 230 calories, 29 grams of carbohydrates, and only 8% of your daily source of vitamin C. Burger King, a small order, is a little worse, 13 grams of fat, 3 grams of saturated fat, 380 milligrams of sodium. So here's where it gets good. This is going to change your lives. A half cup of cooked broccoli is only 27 calories. 0.3 grams of fat, 0.1 gram of saturated fat, and 84% of your daily need for vitamin C. So now that you have that information, you know that in your head, if we can just get that out to the rest of the world, french fries are bad for you, broccoli is good for you, no one will ever want to have a french fry again, and everyone will start having these extreme cravings for broccoli. Right? <laughs> so, granted, like that information might help you make some decisions and might help shape some of your behavior, but I think ultimately it would even come down to the reason you would change your behavior is because you desire to be healthy. You desire to feel better. You, the classic, you desire to look better naked. Maybe that's what's going to change you from eating french fries. But it's these desires. Just because you know something in your head doesn't necessarily mean that it's gonna, your life is going to reflect that. So if you, if you can kind of just follow me with that kind of concept, we're desiring beings as opposed to thinking beings first. Um, so why does that distinction matter? Why does it matter that we are desirers before we are thinkers? And specifically, why does it matter for those of us who are trying to live lives that reflect this identity of Christ, to be able to, to be who, who Christ is here on earth? Well, it matters because if we are fundamentally thinking beings first, then for our lives to be changed and shaped... All we would need to do is to get the right information into our minds. All we would need to know is that french fries are bad, broccoli is good, and our lives would automatically be changed. Uh, we would be what Jamie Smith calls information receptacles. If we could just get the right amount and the right combination of information about Jesus into our heads, then suddenly our lives will begin to look like his and we will automatically just desire these things that he desires. However... If we are fundamentally beings who desire, who, who are directing our loves towards things, then shaping our lives has to do with transforming our hearts and transforming our desires. We want not only to change what we know, but we want to change what it is we long for, what it is that we're desiring, because that's what's uh, triggering and motivating our actions in our lives. And so where changing our mind requires getting in the right information, changing our hearts takes place through what Jamie Smith calls liturgies. And you might be more familiar with the idea of a liturgy in this kind of context, in a church setting, but he applies that to different things that, that take place in our society. Uh, they can also, they're usually subliminal, they often go unnoticed, and there are liturgies that can direct us towards positive things and liturgies that might direct us towards not as positive things. And so in the book, he uses an example of going to the mall. And as you walk down the corridors of this mall sanctuary, as he calls it, you've got icons and images that are designed to, to grab your imagination. 
and as instantly as possible to direct your desire towards certain products or certain services or even lifestyles as you walk through there. Um, and that, that might be a new way of thinking of a liturgy for you, but it's very, its goals are very intentional. And just like the liturgies that we have in this place and that churches around the world share, our liturgies are very intentional for us also to help shape our desires, to help direct us towards certain things. It's to, as we go through our liturgies, our goal is to shape our desires to match that of Christ, to shape our desire to have a life as he does and to, to desire his kingdom. Hence the name of Jamie's book, Desiring the Kingdom. So today is the last sermon in our series on the mission of City Life, Serve. Why is service a part of our mission here at City Life? Because our mission is to be about and to desire those things that Jesus is about and the things that Jesus desires. We want to be inviting and inclusive. We want to be a church that encounters and experiences God in his gospel of grace to connect and share our lives with each other, and then this week, to serve each other and the community in a selfless way. In the passage we read today, Jesus says, He came not to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. And this really seems to go against this common mindset that we have in society that says everything should be bigger and better, and the liturgies of this world are just screaming to our hearts, trying to to shape our desires towards this self-promotion, this idea that happiness and fulfillment are going to be a result of the success that we can gain or through these prestigious advancements or this, this triumphalism of becoming dominant or you know, working our way in an upward motion. And I think that this way of life is also fueled by something else we say every week. People are a mess, and people know they're a mess. And if you're a mess... You desire not to be a mess, and you, you desire to um, get things or be something that covers up your mess so that when other people see you, they don't recognize your mess, and they think things like, well, anyone who has a job like that or a car like that or a lifestyle like that couldn't possibly be a mess. They obviously have it all together. And this isn't a new idea. And also in the passage today, we see that two of Jesus' closest friends are seeking this elevated status. They come to him you know, first, just to be brazen enough to go to Jesus and say, I want, we want you to do anything we ask. Like, that's one step. But then to say, elevate us to this level of being right next to you above everyone else, which completely counters this life that Jesus lived, who in every way lowered his status. And according to the book of Philippians, he emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave. So that kind of counters this cultural mindset that we have of, well, if we're a slave, maybe someday we can aspire to become almost like a god, but where Jesus being God became the slave. And it's kind of this opposite trajectory of this life of Jesus and this life that society seems to be promoting. So the reason that this seemed to fit to me with these thoughts from Jamie Smith is because our mission and our goal at City Life is to have this reforming of our desires, of our lives, to, to redirect our loves, not to be towards ourselves and the self-elevation, but to be directed towards God and others first. Jesus summarizes the entire law of the Old Testament by saying, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands hang all the law and the prophets. So what Jesus says, he doesn't say, all the commands and all the laws are summed up by, you need to think this and think this. You need to even believe this and believe this. You need to trust that his first, his whole Old Testament commands are summed up by saying, love God and love others. A directing of our desires towards God and then a directing of our desires towards other people. And so it really seemed to me to fit this idea like, well, that makes sense then. If we're desiring people first, then the, the first and second commandment that Jesus gives are commandments of loving and, and directing our desires uh, a certain way. And in order to be free to focus on others, to be focusing on God and others, as he says, there has to be, to some extent, a way in which we know our mess is taken care of, or it doesn't matter. And that's exactly what we did earlier when we did the, the, the confession time. We come before God and we say, God, I'm a mess. And his response to us is, I know, you're a mess. But I love you regardless, more than you could ever imagine. And as we begin to feel that, and it's ingrained not only in our mind, but in our hearts, and we experience this love and acceptance, uh, we begin to, to be freed of our self-desiring and our self, self-serving promotion, and we, begin, we, we let go of this need to deal with our own mess, as if we could ever do that in the first place. And we can begin to focus on sharing this acceptance and love with others, which is what Jesus tells the disciples, if you want to be great, if you want to experience the full glories, the joys, the ultimate peace of my kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. And so rather than being so worried about our own messes, we acknowledge that Jesus has taken care of our mess, that he's taken care of our weaknesses, our brokenness, the shame, the guilt, the embarrassing things in our lives that we don't want to deal with anymore and we seek to help others because we've been able to let go and so we can focus on other things we can focus on God we can focus on other people who are clearly just as broken just as messy and need this message of acceptance for us and as we grow into that type of we grow into those types of people into that type of church whose desires are directed towards serving others maybe we'll start to hear people say things like I sure do like those Christians because they're always reminding me of Christ. Will you please pray with me? God, uh, we come to you still just as broken as before, just as messy, and we pray and we thank you for still loving us even more than we can imagine. God, we pray that you would help shape our lives to be able to let go of the things um, that are keeping us from loving you and from loving others. We pray that you will help us to overcome the messages of society that will lead to more loneliness and more brokenness and more self-serving and that we could believe your promises and that they would shape our hearts and desires to love you and to love others and that it would ultimately change our identity and who we are to be more conformed to your likeness. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.